Guess what? It's me again. <laughs> Multiply your love through us. Well, I thought that was an appropriate song since that's exactly what God's doing uh, by bringing a great faith vision alongside of us. Uh, not only did he, did the Lord raise up a person from our midst to, uh, to uh, lead this ministry, he raised up a whole ministry, and that is Great Faith Vision. And John Elcock is the individual, and I'll let him explain what God's doing through Great Faith Vision this morning and where he's multiplying uh, his love to the people around us. So, John? Good morning. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses was going about his business tending his, the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, when in the distance he saw a bush on fire. But although it was on fire, it wasn't burning up. So he went over to check it out. As he got closer, uh, God spoke to him from the burning bush and gave him a job to do, to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses' response was, Huh? Who am I that I should be going to Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Then God said, I will be with you. Moses, well, what about the Israelites? Who, who should I tell them sent me? I mean, who gave me the authority to do this? And his response was, go and tell them, I am sent you. But, but, what if they don't listen to me? God came back to Moses and said, what's that into your hand, Mr. Mr. Shepherd? And he said, it's a staff. So the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. And he became a snake, and he ran away from it. And God said, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Have you ever taken a snake by the tail? <laughs> but he did. And it turned back into a staff in his hand. And the Lord said, this is so that they may believe that the Lord has appeared to you. God used a rod to do miracles just like he said. Things like getting water out of a rock, to raining hail and fire from heaven, to separating the waters of the Red Sea so that the Israelites could escape and so that the Egyptian army could be drowned in that same water. God used the ordinary shepherd's staff to accomplish extraordinary the miraculous. David, what's that in your hand? A slingshot. Samson, what's that in your hand? The jawbone of an animal. Church, what's that in your hand? The reality is that we all possess something God can use. Ordinary things, ordinary people doing extraordinary kingdom work. Nothing magical, just people being who God made them to be, doing exactly what Jesus asked them to do. Reaching the unreached that God brings to us will take ordinary people working together, doing ordinary things in response to Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all the nations. So what's, that, what's in your hand? Are you using it? I have the privilege of leading Great Faith Vision, a short-term missions organization that provides free eye care services to communities where vision care is not available or affordable. It started with an optometrist using her gifts, her training, and her profession to serve God. 
At Great Faith Vision, we provide a platform for ordinary people, skilled and unskilled people like you and me, to leverage our resources and abilities to accomplish Jesus' mandate to go and make disciples. And we do it in a very niche and targeted way. We train and we send teams locally, nationally, and internationally. Uh, locally, we, our clinics are just one day, typically on a Saturday, and currently in Philadelphia and Chester. Nationally, they're typically seven days, and our international clinics are usually 10 days. Although our teams are short-term, our impact is not. Our reach is not one-to-one, -one, but one-to-many. Our work impacts individuals, families, communities, and the ministries of our host missionary organizations. We do not work alone. We partner with and support the efforts of mission organizations like Envision Atlanta, City Team, Whosoever Gospel Mission, missions that are on the ground working among the people day in and day out to make disciples. We operate under their umbrellas as their guests and enhance their work uh, opening doors and establishing and building relationships to their communities. Our mobile clinics go where the people are and provide eye care services, from eye exams to consultations with an optometrist to providing free prescription uh, eyeglasses and medication. We use eyesight as the gateway to hearts and to homes and to communities and a platform for the local team to address the issue of spiritual sight. The services we provide are not only needed, but life-changing for the recipients, their families, and their communities. It's also ministry-enhancing uh, for the host missionaries. In the parable of the talents, remember that? God rewarded the two risk-takers, but he took the talent away from the one who played it safe. Which one are you? What's that in your hand? Are you using it? Are you playing it safe? On Saturday, we're taking a team to Philadelphia to work with the homeless men in Whosoever Gospel Missions resident program. We've announced several upcoming clinics. Most are one day, and uh, the one in Clarkston are one week. Um, our teams are made up of ordinary people like you and me, skilled and unskilled. The oldest team member we've taken to date was 77 years old, and she served on the seven-day clinic in, in Clarkston. And how about you again? What is in your hand? Are you using it? How can you be part of the solution? Great Faith Vision is just one way. We are responding to the unreached when they become reachable here in the US. Uh, if this is a ministry that interests you, uh, you can participate by serving on one of our local teams, or supporting a team member, or giving to the ministry. Not everyone can go, not everyone can give, but we all can pray. And so what is in your hand? Are you using it? We have some material here in the platform, and we also have a table downstairs with some additional information if you're interested. Thank you, God bless. Thank you, John. And uh, uh, if you heard that, we wanna remember to pray for this team uh, next Saturday, this coming Saturday, be going into the city. A number of people in this congregation are a part of that. Uh, I will be on that team. <laughs> Say what it is about that, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, we're looking for what God's going to do. So with that, I'm going to call Pete up, and uh, we're going to change up the uniform for a minute, so uh, bear with me. Okay, now, instead of Great Faith Vision, now we're in Vision Atlanta. Okay. Not as good as Broadway, but it'll have to do. 
So, Pete, come on up. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing what God is doing through Envision Atlanta. And Pete and Alice, of course, Alice grew up in this church. For many of you know that. And, uh, you know, it's just an amazing ministry. I can't say enough. I was on that team through Great Faith Vision uh, last year, uh, who was down in Clarkston for seven days. And, uh, you know, it's, it's life-changing what they're doing. And uh, God's using uh, uh, individuals, ordinary people, to uh, reach out with the gospel. And uh, Pete's going to bring it to life right now. So, Lord bless you, Pete. Thank you. It was great having uh, the team here from Great Faith Vision down there. And um, I was uh, thinking that we should come up with a t-shirt together, and that would make it a lot easier. Uh, so... Um, it's really great to be back here. Um, uh, this, this church always has meant a lot to us, and um, you guys have always uh, loved on us, and we feel your love. Uh, thank you for your prayers and for your constant support. And um, uh, in Africa, uh, you have to always be grateful to your in-laws, and your in-laws are everybody that raised your wife. So I have to be grateful to you because you gave me my wife. Uh, so um, I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, thank you for all you've done. I want to, my wife is actually with the kids right now, but I do have my uh, beautiful daughter, Charity Grace. And um, I have my son, Sam. Uh, people thought we were really good parents, and then Sam was born. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's been fun. I've really enjoyed being a, a dad um, and watching um, my kids grow up and being part of their life. And they go to a huge school. Um, uh, and every morning, they meet with some of their other Christian friends, and they pray and ask for revival in their school. And so I'm grateful that I have kids that are willing to stand up for the gospel, uh, even uh, among their unbelieving peers, and so that's been fun. Um, I just want to thank you. You guys are definitely praying, and I feel your prayers. We feel an incredible uh, favor of God uh, on even people that don't want to favor us, um, and uh, we have just seen God move in a mighty way. Uh, we have been there 21 months, uh, and um, for those of you who don't know, we work in a town called Clarkston. It was named by Time Magazine as the most diverse square mile in the world. There are about 38 uh, apartment complexes that house about 18,000 refugees. And that's a guess because uh, there's absolutely no way of doing a real censorship, uh, figuring out who's there and who's not because they say six people live in the apartment. And we know there's 16. Um, so... Uh, but uh, the big thing that is a burden for us is that we walk into this community and we see hurting and broken people. Uh, but worse than all that, we found 90 unreached people groups. And of that, uh, many of them are unengaged, uh, meaning that in all of history, uh, not a single one has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And that drives us. And I got to share in Sunday school a little bit. Um, and if you weren't there, you can ask anybody that was there because they remember the five points to my vision, right? And, um, but I do encourage you to consider coming down. 
We don't have an age limit. Uh, and uh, you can go and you may lead someone to Christ that for all of history we've been trying to get a missionary to and haven't been able to, and you can, uh, even if you, you uh, we're handicapped acceptable, so you can come in wheelchairs, you can, whatever, we'll take you. In fact, just for the record, white hair has a lot of power in, in our community. They respect elders, and so you can even say things that I can't. And um, so come on down and visit us. Come down with uh, the, the trip in uh, September with uh, Great Faith Vision. They're still looking for people. Um, we definitely need help. And I want to say also about that, you guys, I don't know if you remember, but you raised money for food um, that we gave out as a community dinner um, while, they were, while they were doing the eye exams. And I want to say, uh, in some ways, it was eye-opening for me um, because in, uh, I realized, I began to realize that in some of those communities, there was actually a lot of malnutrition. And um, we literally had kids that for the first time were able to eat all that they want other than a school lunch that they give you a certain amount. And we had to literally say, no, 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 if you eat anymore, you're going to get sick. Um, uh, and if you know anything about malnourishment, if people eat too much after not eating at all, they can literally get sick. Um, but I literally did not realize that until you guys were able to supply uh, uh, a food that we used. And we're hoping now to carry that on. We're actually encouraging uh, some of our churches when they come to bring food. Um, bring a bag of rice. Because there are literally families... The children do not eat from Friday lunch at school until Monday lunch at school. Um, and uh, I, it, it took you guys to show me what was going on when uh, anytime we brought food out, especially in Park 1000, it was gone. And I began to look at some of their hair and malnourished kids have like a red tinge at the end. And I started realizing how many there were. And so I say thank you. The other thing was, in a lot of cases, it was community leaders sitting down together for the first time. And so we were able to bring whole communities together um, uh, with these meals. So I want to say thank you for that. Um, just giving you a little update. Uh, if you know anything about my vision, one of the dreams is to plant 1,000 house churches in the next 10 years. Um, in order to do that, we have to have five in the first two. Well, we're at 21 months, and we have 11. And uh, we have another 13 that we call emerging, which means in the next six months, we hope we can build them up to the place that they'll be going. One of the most exciting things that's going on is um, we had this uh, Pakistani pastor and his wife start going to one of our churches uh, with it, a, a testimony that is... Just unbelievable. I hope you get a chance to come down and hear it from them. But just an, a mind-blowing testimony. And uh, so we looked at him and said, why are you attending? You need to start your own. He says, you know what? You're right. So he started his own house church. A month later, he had 40 people. So um, we're not just planting house churches. We've already planted uh, two um, churches of which... If you were um, in Sunday school, the video of the two pastors are two of our pastors. We hope to have three more ch traditional churches by June, which will be our two-year anniversary. Um, and the cool thing is one of them will be Pakistani, and one of them will be um, 
Oromo, which is uh, an unreached people group in Ethiopia that's mainly Muslim. Um, and we, we think that we can actually have the largest Oromo church in the world in a couple months just with some interest that's been shown. And then the last is, dear to my heart, is the French African, um, which is kind of cool. There was a service nearby, and I used to take my teams there. Um, and my daughter, if she had her choice, would go every Sunday, but she'd spend all eight hours. She goes to the English service, and then she wants to go to the, the French service, and then go to small group that night. Um, but uh, they are starting a church there because we started bringing our teams there, and I don't understand why, but it caused the church to grow. Just, our, just us showing up and showing interest. When I got there, there was literally a handful, and um, by the end of last summer, there was standing room only, so they planted another church uh, in Gainesville, and now there's, um, uh, they're, they're growing to the place that they're running out of room again, so they're going to start a church in Clarkston. And so it's just exciting to see what God's doing. We've started an after-school program. Um, in it, we have somebody came in uh, that had experience with child trauma, and she would sit in the apartment complexes, and she could not find a single child that wasn't showing symptoms of extreme trauma. And so we have started these uh, sensory rooms that in the apartments that we rent that actually are retraining the brain because once you're traumatized, you, your brain develop, develops a, a tract that out of any stimulus causes it to go to fight, flight, or flee uh, part of the brain instead of being able to process. And so it's hard to learn. We started it, and within six weeks, we have people, kids that couldn't read that are reading perfectly because they had the knowledge. They just needed to put their brain back together. And um, so it's just really cool to see how God is moving. Um, and um, it's funny because I went over the other day and I saw my director outside. So what are you doing? She said, well, um, there are kids too young to come to the after school program. And so they're mad and they're throwing wet rocks at the windows because <laughs> they, they, they hope that they said they'll quit throwing them if we let them come to the after school program. So that's kind of a good problem, right? And... Uh, so God is on the move. We've actually planted two of our house churches out of our children's ministry. Um, and uh, we have some more. We also have, we believe in going to them, not them coming to us. So we have a thrift store, but the thrift store is on the back of a truck. And um, at, um, this week, I have somebody, somebody gave us a school bus. And so we're turning the school bus into a store so we can drive in. And we've planted a church out of relationships we built through our thrift store. And the whole idea of a thrift store, yes, we could just give it away. We sell the clothes for like a dollar. But there's something called human dignity. And we believe in building that. And so if somebody comes in and they don't have money, you don't have a dollar, we'll take it for a quarter. Or you don't have a quarter, hey, you know what? We got some work to do around the bus. You work and you get it. And it is so cool to see uh, them do it. You know what sells the most? Shoes. Because uh, you see a lot of the children running around without shoes. And so, um, anyways, uh, I better get into my message, but I am excited with what God's, what God's doing here. And um, I just believe uh, the cool thing is, if within 30 miles, people stay there to about uh, three to five years, and then they move within... 30 miles, so within 30 miles of Clarkston, there's 761 people groups. And um, there's a big football stadium down there. And uh, 
it's an outdoor, it's not a, I mean, it's not real big, it's Georgia State, but um, I, like all our house churches, once every six months, we're going to have a celebration with everyone there, and when I really get discouraged, I park outside of it, and I just picture uh, all our house churches coming together and reaching five, six hundred people groups and all worshiping God together. Uh, Y'all might want to show up for that one. Um, but I, I just, I just, um, I believe that God, we're not going in there defeated. We have an almighty God. He's called us. This is their time. And we believe that we're, God is producing a fountain that will flow to every nation of the world. And, um, you know, we're in these last days and we will reach every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And then we will worship our God forever and ever together. Amen. Now, y'all, I'm from Africa. You have to do better than that. <laughs> so. Um, but, so now I'll get into the sermon. <laughs> um, if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd like you to turn to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15, it's kind of a, I, I'm going to skip through it so you guys can just kind of pay attention. It's, this is one of Jesus' sermons, and it's called Lost. He's, he, he does this whole chapter of just sharing his incredible burning passion for the lost and how it, how it just, it, it, and he tries to express it through these parables. And the first parable he finds um, is uh, the lost sheep. And, and, and verses 4 and 5 of chapter 15 said, suppose, you, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go and find the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he will joyfully put it on his shoulders. Amen? He leaves the 99. He risks everything. If you know the, the shepherd community during that time, their whole life was wrapped up in their flock. And he leaves the 99 to go find the lost. And, and that's the passion of our God. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And he's willing to risk everything. And the question are, is, are we? And then it goes on in verse 8. And um, this is uh, uh, the woman that loses the coin. And, and some of you may have some of those valuable things that were uh, maybe given to you by your grandmother or, or something special. And they mean everything. And this woman has these coins and she loses them and she loses one of them and she starts to freak out going, where's my coin? Where's the coin? The one of them's missing. And it says in, in verse uh, 8, so um, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? She uses all the resources at her disposal. She lights a lamp so that she might see the silver. She sweeps. She uses her broom. She uses all the resources that are helpful in order to find the lost coin. And a lost coin has zero value when you consider a whole, a, a whole soul for all of eternity. Amen? And then it goes on and it talks about the lost son. And this is maybe one of the most passionate places. And, and verse 20 says, So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still long off, he saw his father 
and was filled with compassion for him. The father sat there every day waiting for his son to come home. Amen? And then it goes on and it says, uh, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He didn't hold anything against him. He just wanted his son home. And there used to be a song um, way back, I don't even know how long or how old, but it used to say, the only time I saw God run was when he ran to me. Amen? And that's our God. And so we look at the lostness and we look at uh, how the heart of God, which is he risks everything for the lost. And he waits for the loss with compassion. And, and he uses all his resources to reach the loss. He sent his son to die for the lost. And we were the lost. But now we're not. But if we have the heart of God, we need to be driven. Amen? Are you willing to risk it all for the lost? Are you willing to use every resource at your disposal? Are you willing to welcome him? Even when he still has the stink of the pigs. And after he abandoned you and betrayed you, are you still willing to welcome him back? So I want, to, I want to tell quite, actually it's four stories at once, but it's all about uh, my quest for some people that God has burned in my heart. When I arrived in Clarkston, one of the first questions I asked is, I said, I know there's 200 people groups here. Tell me, tell me, what's the biggest? And they said, it's the Somali. So I said, interesting. We've determined that the Somali may be the hardest. Uh, in fact, out of the whole country, there are maybe 11 small groups that total about 80 believers out of all the ethnic groups in one, from that one country. So, uh, and even a lot of those are the result of like intermarrying with Ethiopians and um, and then they've come to Christ because some of the Ethiopians are Christians. And, and so it's, it's, I mean, it's just hard. So I said, well, tell me, who's trying to, who's trying to reach the Somali? I'm sure there's a huge operation since there's 4,000 of them out of 18,000. And the, the people said, well, this person tried for a while, but it was just too hard, and they moved into this ministry, and... This person tried and it was too hard and they move into that ministry. And um, so for several years now, nobody. I said, what? I said, are you telling me that the evangelical world has given up? <laughs> we decided that this people group is too hard? Because if I'm not mistaken, my God never gives up. He 
didn't for me. He still doesn't for me because I still keep messing up and he still has to come and get me. Amen? And so I started this, this, this journey where I said, what can we do? I know we work mainly out of apartments, but what can we do to reach this apartment complex? What can we reach this people group? And so, I, uh, incidentally, there's a college, Christian college near us, and uh, they have ministries come down once a month, and the professor who leads it turns out that he's part of a think tank, and the think tank is trying to get all the evangelical missiologic efforts that have ever had to do with Somalians to sit down and talk, how do you reach the Somalians? And he winds up, at a, uh, he winds up being in one of our ministries that visits us. So he himself has been writing papers, and, and he says, so I said, well, what's, what's, the, what's your conclusion? And he said, we found out that people that have effectively built relationships where they could possibly share Christ with them all had one thing in common. And I said, what's that? And they said, they deliver camel's milk. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I went back and prayed. And I came back with this conclusion. If we're serious about reaching this people, we need to start a camel dairy. Right? I mean, if we're serious about reaching lost people, those boxes have to go away because they're not working. They haven't worked for a thousand years. Why do we expect them to work now? Right? So I said, well, then let's start a camel dairy. And I said, I, I said God, if you want me, you're going to have to lead me in this. So I said, well, where do you get camels? Number one breeder of camels is in Carterville, Georgia, an hour away. Okay, well, you answered that one pretty clearly, God. So I said, well, God, if we're going to do this, I need free land. So I went to see the county, who I've developed quite a relationship with, and I said, hey, you know, the other day we were talking, you were complaining about having to mow all those uh, flood zones. And he says, yeah. I said, can I have one? I said, you won't have to mow it no more. And he goes, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'd like to raise camels. <laughs> and I probably should have been offended that he didn't bat an eye or think that was out of the normal for me. <laughs> um, he goes, well, don't you need a fence? And I said, yeah. He said, don't you need a barn? I said, probably. He said, do you have any money? I said, well, I never have any money. I just... I just go ahead and one that God supplies as I needed. But I need to start with land. And he goes, well, why don't I just give you a piece of land with a barn and a fence already on it? And I go, yeah, why don't you? <laughs> and then I thought I was on a roll, so I said, you know what? I also have a heart for the Fulani, and I want to raise goats. I want to milk goats and make, and, uh, and that they're a people group of about 60 million 
There are 800 known Christians. They're in Burkina. They're from Senegal all the way to uh, Ethiopia. And they, they were the first people group that even when I got to Burkina Faso broke my heart. And so I said, well, I want to raise goats. And he says, well, don't buy any. I said, what? I said, it's going to be kind of hard to milk goats if you don't buy any. And uh, he goes, well, no, no, don't worry about it. I'll give them to you. I said, how's DeKalb County going to give me goats? He said, I'll give you 20 or 30 a year. And I said, how are you giving me goats? He goes, oh, I confiscate them out of people's apartments. <laughs> and that's why they call it Clarkistan. And, um, and uh, so he's going to give me goats. And he said, by the way, if you get goats, could I hire them back? And I said, what, what do you mean? He says, well, they eat kudzu. And kudzu's taken over, and we have to chemically treat it, or we have to get goats. I'll just hire your goats, and you can go in and clear the land. I said, okay, works for me. So, um, so then I had land. So then I thought, well, I need a vet. So I decided, uh, okay, Lord, give me a vet, then I'll really know I'm still on. You know, every time I try to walk away, he sucks me back in, right? So let's back up a little while. I was supposed to go speak at this church. Set the GPS, jumped in my car, was up in the mountains of Georgia. I drove up there. Uh, I, the GPS showed I had to go a little further, but there was the church on the left. So I pulled in, went into the church, and um, they had killer sausage biscuits, and I was pounding them and uh, having a good old time. And the head elder comes up to me and says, uh, hey, um, what brings you to our church today? I'm like, oh, the pastor asked me to speak. And he goes, oh, okay, he didn't tell me. I'm like, well, that happens, you know. So I think a little while, and also I'm like, you know what? Something felt funny about that. Maybe I should go back and see the pastor and make sure I have the right Sunday. So I was like, can I see the pastor? And I thought it was funny the pastor didn't come out and say hi to me. So he took me back. We weave back through this church. When we get to the office, we open it up. And it's not the pastor I know. I'm at the wrong church. <laughs> so it turns out the other church is just 100 yards down the road. So I went down there, did the service. About six months later, I get a phone call. And uh, the, the guy says, hey, I don't know if you remember us. You seem to like my, our sausage biscuits. <laughs> he goes, uh, if we make more, will you come up and speak to us this time? And I said, sure. So I drove up there, and, um, and uh, uh, I got early, so I thought, I'll just go say hi to that other church. And after it's pastor, hey, can you stay afterwards? Let's grab coffee together. I said, sure. So I finished my message, and I went back over there, and we went and grabbed coffee. And we we're sitting around the table eating coffee, and um, in walks a lady. And she comes running over to the church, and she says, oh, pastor, I'm so glad I found you. I've been looking for you. I, I moved about an hour away, which actually was an hour closer to Clarkston. And she goes, um, I, it was too hard to invite neighbors to go to church with you and it be an hour away. So I found a local church. And so I was like, okay, well, that's, that's nice. And uh, she, so she t he says, well, tell me about the church. You want to make sure it's a good church. And so they talk about the church and everything's good and everything's fine. And then the pastor looks at me and goes, hey, ask her what she does for a living. So I said, so, hey, what do you do for a living? She goes, I'm a large animal vet, and I focus on alpaca and llamas, which are in the same genus as camels. So I'm like, I got a vision I need to share with you. 
by the time I got home, I had an uh, email from her saying, uh, I'll take care of all your vet stuff and uh, cover at least uh, some of the, the medicine and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, okay, kind of running out of excuses here, God. And so uh, um, I started praying and praying, and I said, well, how do I get this thing started? How do I know this will even work? And so um, I went to speak at a, at a Baptist church near there, and I, had, I guess I had shared my vision a while, get back, and while I'm preaching, and um, Joe, I, I really thought you could pull this off. I was a little disappointed you couldn't up this. Uh, a camel walked in. They literally walked a camel in while I was preaching. And, um, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so it turns out the camel, they were just praying. It wasn't my camel. It was a male anyways um, named Louie. Um, but they brought in as an example, the church had taken an offering and gone and bought a license and found an FDA-approved dairy in Colorado that does halal camel's milk and um, bought a license to import it and then bought me $4,000 worth of camel's milk. And so the idea is... Um, that they'll keep importing it until we're able to get a dairy up and going because uh, you pretty much have to buy a baby camel because they're only 1,500 full-grown females, like five grand. And so it's easier to get a smaller one and grow it up. Um, and so while we're waiting to do that, they volunteered to, um, to, get, to get us milk. So, um, which my intention was never to taste it <laughs> because... Um, and after I saw camels, and I sure as heck didn't want to drink anything that came out of them. And so uh, I was going to try to let it go. But uh, anyways, I did end up tasting some. And it's, it's just like a real, real, real uh, creamy milk. Turns out the, um, it may be the cure to the symptoms of autism. They're studying it right now. And it also um, is the only natural insulin that is not destroyed in the stomach. And so um, it's cool because we have this relationship even with the University of Georgia and even studying the possibility of coming up with a pill, an insulin pill, that, you could, that would possibly do it where you wouldn't have to be injected um, if you had diabetes. Anyway, there's a lot of possibilities. And if it happens, we'll be at the front end of that and be able to do a lot. Um, but anyways, uh, so like I'm standing up there. And again, I'm kind of overwhelmed because this camel walked in, and then they gave me $4,000 of frozen milk because you, you can't take raw milk across uh, uh, um, state lines. Incidentally, the camel's milk that is being sold now in Atlanta is black market out of Pennsylvania. The Amish are, have quite a few uh, milk, quite a few uh, camels, and then ship them illegally across the state line. And then they don't even know how good it is or whatever. It's not. Um, uh, but anyways, that's not here or there. But anyways, um, so um, I told him, I said, well, you guys gave me the milk. You need to come help us do our first distribution. We'll go out and give samples to get this thing started. So, you know, I just say it. I don't think. So we did research, and we found out where they lived. 
The most of the Somalis live in an apartment complex called Brandon Hills. The complex was named by HUD as the worst living conditions in America. People live without running water or electricity. There are buildings that have caught on fire and fallen down and people are still living in it even though they're condemned. Um, uh, there's shootings there. Uh, there. You walk around and there's uh, rest in peace signs all over where people have gotten shot. Um, they're the one, it's the one area, it's not actually in Clarkston City, it's just outside of it, but we, I don't allow my staff to go in there without me, because um, I don't want to miss any excitement, but um, uh, so I was like, oh, I didn't think about this, I, I'm going to bring in all these young adults that raised all this money and send them to this place that I wouldn't normally even allow my staff to go. So I didn't even really think about it. We did all the training. We just said, this is a free sample. Um, we would like to start a, a company to distribute in the future. And um, so I, I, I brought them in. We did an hour of training. And um, I divided three of them up with one of my staff and a couple of the Ethiopian pastors that were there. And um, I sent them out. And I sent them out. And I was alone in my car. And I thought, what did I just do? I just sent, I, I mean, I, I never put people that are even close to being in danger. This, this violated my whole program of how I do short-term teams. And I'm like, this is not a safe place, even though it is during the day and it's at night that it gets dangerous. I just felt very, very afraid. And so I was standing, I, I finally pulled up on this hill, but I figured if I needed to, I could drive my foil, drive down the grass hill and get to any apartment complex building in a few seconds. And then I, I had the, the real fear, and I thought, I didn't even bring my spear. And um, so I sat up there, and I literally started texting people saying, please pray. This is crazy. I don't know what I just did. I made a mistake. And about that time, I looked down, and one of our missionaries walked up to one of the Somali men, and he, I saw him give a thing, and all of a sudden, I saw them talking, and their arms were waving. And I'm like, oh, they're being harassed already. What do I do? Do I need to go down and step in? You know, what's going on? And so I sent out another text. And, and then I saw my missionary's arms start moving. And they moved back and forth. And then they hugged. And I go, oh, OK. So uh, we finish up the time. And these students don't really understand what's going on. They think it's just normal. Because it is normal for the rest of Clarkston. We've never ever had a, a cross word. We've always been invited in because their felt need was friendship with an American. But this area here, we just don't go into. All of a sudden, I, I look over, and here's my two Ethiopian pastors. And they're standing at the edge of the group like this. Eyes wide open, mouth down. I mean, their mouths were literally open. And I went over and I said, are you guys okay? And the pastor looked at me and said, we saw history today. He said, we penetrated this people group more than any time in history. He said, Pete, I've never seen it. I've, been a, I've worked to try to reach parts of this people group for 50 years. And people I knew 50 years before that, he said, when we brought the camel's milk in, they invited us into their apartments and sat us down and talked to us. 
And so I went up to my missionary. I said, what was going on? He said, well, I handed him the bottle of camel's milk, and he looked at me and said, what's the catch? He says, nobody gives a gift that valuable. There's got to be a catch. Nobody gives free gifts like that. And the missionary said, I know I wasn't supposed to, but how could I miss that opening? <laughs> and he says, I told him, well, that's, you're actually not, not true. Somebody else has given a gift for free that's much better than that. And that's God's love. And he said, I saw the guy connected for the first time in his life. His eye, he said, I could see it in his eyes. And he said, tell me more about this God's love. And he got to share the gospel. And he said, I'll have to think about it. And he hugged my missionary. No wall is too hard for my God. Amen? It means sometimes we have to step out of the box. It means sometimes we have to take risks. But if we have a heart for lost people, then we do whatever it takes. Let's quit playing games. So here's my challenge. I did forget one part, sorry, so I'm going to back up. Sorry, you're going to have to hear the challenge later on. Here's my challenge. I found out that the, the actual tribe that we're dealing with is a tribe called the Gari. If you have a, anything to write it down, or because I want you to remember it, and I'm asking you guys to pray every day and to get on your knees and fight like a man for the Gari. G-A-R-R-E. Here's the thing. There are a million Gari worldwide. 4,000 of them are in Clarkston. I went on the Joshua list, and if you look up people groups on the Joshua list, it, it's rarely as it say 100% Muslim. It usually goes 99.9, right? They, ne they never give. They have 100% for the Gari. And they think that since 1400 AD, there has not been a single person among the Gari that have not been Muslim. They also say, they call them the zero zone people because there's never really been a significant conversation about Jesus with them. A couple years ago, my, my mother and father-in-law bought me gifts, uh, tickets to, I'm going over, I'm sorry. A little bit. Will you guys excuse me for a few minutes? But this is my heart. Gave me tickets to Sight and Sound for the Jonah show. And I don't know if you saw that or not, but they emphasized the uh, revival of the Ninevites, Ninevites. And every man and every child and every woman repented. And I sat up in the audience and wept like a baby and said, God, please let me be part of this revival. You did it once, why can't you do it again? I'm praying for the Gari. I don't just want a couple of them to get saved. I want a total revival. And if it takes camel's milk, 
then I'll milk a camel. So here's my challenge. Who's the Gari in your life? Who's that family member, that neighbor, that coworker that's in the zero zone? And my challenge is this, will you pray and ask God to show you what their camel's milk is? What is the thing that you can do that will build that bridge? Amen? Lastly, I, I want to challenge you to pray for us. We had something wild happen. Um, I don't know history and all that works out, but that was named the worst living condition. It's, Brandon Hills was named the worst li uh, living conditions in America. Uh, next week, uh, with a little talking to the county, the county is bringing out heavy equipment and they're going to knock down some of the abandoned buildings. They, the people that were living homeless in it, they found places for them with this new program they have in uh, motels and um, where they're going to help them try and eventually get into housing. Um, they're going to pick up the big piles of trash. And then April 13th, we do, we're doing something called Renew the City. And please pray for this. I'm looking, I'm hoping to have three to 500 volunteers and we are gonna pick up every piece of trash that's on the ground, and we're gonna cut back all the bushes, and when we get down, it will not be the worst place to live in America. Amen? So we'll give them camel's milk, but we're also gonna make sure that they don't live in trash. And we think that we can change that entire environment. So we pray for the Gari, we pray for New the City, April 13th, you know, it's only a 12-hour drive. Why don't you drive down Friday night after work? And uh, you can sleep Saturday night and then drive back Sunday. Um, uh, there's also about 18 flights a day from Philadelphia, I think. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, if you can pray for those two things, that would be huge, and pray for us. And so um, I'd like to close in prayer. God, I want to pray for um, this group that's here, and I thank you for every person that's here and um, uh, their love for you. And Lord, I pray that they would, they know that gory person in their life, the person that, that seems impossible to reach. Lord, I pray that you would show them the camel's milk so that they can reach them. And uh, Lord, I do pray your blessing on this church and I pray your name would be glorified. And I pray, Lord, you would bring them the shepherd that you would have them have. In Jesus' name, amen.